Hey, Cassidy, when, uh, when, do the, when will everybody get their Christmas card? Okay, so not yet. Not yet. All right. Well, you got a Christmas card coming. Brace yourself. It's phenomenal. All right. Next week, maybe I'll introduce everybody to Hannah Mullane because the talk of the church is going to be, well, who is that Christmas elf? All right. Get ready. Well, our Advent series, I am extremely excited about it. The darkness will not overcome it. We're going to be reading the prologue of John's gospel. Okay, so here's what I want you to know. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four gospels. Well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very, very similar in a lot of places. John's gospel is just different. In many, many places, John's gospel is just different. Well, especially in the beginning. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they give us the introduction to the ministry of Jesus. And Matthew and Luke give it to us in the format we are accustomed to. It tells about the shepherds and the wise men and the star. So Matthew and Luke give you the birth story of Jesus just the way we always tell it every Christmas. John's gospel gives you something deeper. John's gospel creates a narrative for 18 verses. He lays out the theological heartbeat behind the moment that the Word of God was made flesh and made His dwelling among us. And so we're going to be studying John's Gospel for the next few weeks as we prepare our hearts with great expectation for the Advent season. I also want to encourage you, listen, every year we're faced with the same challenge. This holiday, this season for us, it's sacred. Like it's spiritual. It reminds us of why we are right with God. Because God came to us. Because in the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our faith was born in a manger. And I want to challenge you because no doubt the busy pace of the next few weeks, oh, the Christmas list and all the expectation, all the parties and the things that you have to do, they will distract you and create terrific stress. And I am calling us as a church to focus, to worship, not just on Sundays. But this Advent season, let's give our faith and our hearts to the Lord. Carterville kids, I know you've got a Christmas list that is as long as mine was when I was a kid. But I challenge you, let's don't get lost in just the gifts and the holidays. Let's celebrate Jesus Christ and His coming to us. Let this be the richest Christmas that any of us have ever celebrated. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right 
to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of the grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is Himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made Him known. I want to ask everybody to turn your attention to verse 4 and verse 5. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's our text for the morning. Listen, I don't know if you feel like I feel, but there are some days when I look around and I feel like the darkness has overcome it. And it but it hasn't. I don't know about you, but sometimes, I, and I am not a doomsday guy. Listen, since the day I've been born, one of the gifts that God has given me is I have treasured life. I love it. I love every day that I'm alive. I love God's creation. I love His wonder. I love the breath in our lungs. I love the people He's made. I love this world. I love this creation. I love life. I'm not a doomsday guy, but there are moments when I look around and I feel like the darkness is winning. On Tuesday, I gathered with a family that buried a 31-year-old son who died as a result of a battle he had with an addiction that got the best of him. And my heart broke because I felt like the darkness won. Tomorrow, I'll drive to the north of the state and stand with a family that We'll be burying a son that grew up in our church family. I wasn't here that day and I couldn't swear that it happened, but I expect that very likely the boy was dedicated on this platform the same way Sawyer was this morning. But at 27, he lost a battle with an addiction. And tomorrow I'll stand and grieve with the family that I love. And I feel like the darkness is winning. I know it's not, and every once in a while I need... A biblical reminder. I need to see the big picture. That no matter how engulfed we feel, overwhelmed, we're not. Like, he wins in the end. The empty tomb, the new creation, Christ wins. And today our text is John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. And a stark reminder for all of us that the darkness has not overcome us. And in fact, the darkness will not overcome us. It can't. I want to read again. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This season as we celebrate Christmas, 
the darkness has not overcome us. And one of the reasons that I want us to celebrate and that I want our celebrations to be more than our Christmas lifts and our gifts and our obligations and our reciprocation and our, oh, she got me this, I've got to get her that. I want us to excel and go above that. I want us to remember that the darkness isn't winning because God came to us 2,000 years ago in a manger. Because in great humility, Christ poured himself out and took on the form of a servant and was obedient to God even to death on a cross and he won our victory and our eternal life. He set us free from our sins. He set us free from our struggles. If not in this age and the age to come, the darkness has not and will not overcome us, even when it feels like it has. Have you already decorated your house? Raise your hand. The Skipper family, hold on, the Skipper family is um, right in the midst of it. We cut the tree yesterday. We drug it into the house, needles and all. Of course, we trimmed off that little bit that was so tall it bent at the ceiling because out in the, uh, out in the tree farm, they look small and in your den, wow, they grow. <laughs> I cut the end a couple of times because it wasn't straight and then it wasn't straight and then I didn't make it straight and finally it was straight. I did the same things you did. And maybe this afternoon, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day, we'll start to string lights. We have the argument every year. White lights are colored lights, and I think it's time to settle that. Um, so church family, let's settle that together. White lights are colored lights. Uh, let's see where you stand. If you are a, clearly our decorating committee of white light people to this, this year. If you are, by the way, it looks fabulous. If you're in the de- before we have our little engagement here, if you're part of the decorating committee, my kudos, man. Thanks so much. We appreciate you guys making the church festive. And fabulous. Awesome job decorating me. All right, now, down to business. All the white light folks, oh, all your pure glistening goodness, would you raise your hand so that we can know that you believe that Christmas should be celebrated with white lights? Got it. Got it. All the rednecks in the house. <laughs> cousin Eddie, if you think we need colored lights, would you, would you be counted? <laughs> Amen, Cousin Eddie. Me too. Me too. Phil, I'm glad to see that hand. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Now, I guess I should give a special category. I didn't even think about this. But, there, I mean, you, you know, people can repent, yeah. Blue light, folks, if you, like, hang the blue icicles. Now, okay, okay, good. That's, how about this? You know, the, the lights, the more the better, in my opinion. You know, Kate and I have an awesome idea. We just don't have the lights to carry it out. I mean, we want the big colored bulbs, and we want to wrap all the posts in the front of our house. You know, we're, we're, gonna, we're building a house, so this will be our last Christmas on Albert Street, grieving us because we love it there. But, but we want to go out big. I mean, I, you know, I want big, gaudy colored lights. That's what I'm talking about. You know? But Cade and I have decided we don't, we don't think we have enough lights for our ultimate strategy, but it would be Griswold glorious if we could. <laughs> Why the lights at Christmas? And... and and for me, I'm sure there are real reasons, and if you dig, I'm sure they're there. But for me, I don't know about you, but for me, every light to me has a little bit of a purpose. I mean, the lights for me are reminders that, that when Christ came, listen to me carefully, the light of the world came on the, into, a, into a dark place and began to show us the way. And every little light on the tree for me represents that. It's just silly and a little sentimental, but in Sugarlock, where the, where the real rednecks come from, my friends, um, I'm so proud of my home. I love being from Sugarlock. In Sugarlock, we always cut our tree from the woods. 
And it was always a cedar tree. You know, we, we, we had some places where there was plenty of, you know, lime-rich soil. Cedar trees grew pretty well there. And, so, I mean, it was an every-year thing. We would go out and find a cedar tree that was, you know, good enough for our Christmas tree. And we'd cut it down and drag it home. And, you know, we'd decorate that booger. And it looked something between your Christmas tree and Charlie Brown's. And it was awesome, you know. We loved it. Mom and Dad still do that. And I'm so thankful that they do. You know, so when we go home, there's a cedar tree. It smells like a cedar tree. looks like a cedar tree. It is a cedar tree. But for my kids, you know, it's different. That cedar tree is different because it's not what we're, it's not what, you know, we go to the Christmas tree farm and we cut down the Fraser fir or whatever, you know. And I miss that. I, I, I miss that tree. But for me, I, we always did colored lights and sugar lock. We didn't know no better. And so we, yes, that was on purpose. And so we would, we would, Cover our little cedar tree with Christmas lights. And to this day, to this day, you know, one of my treasured memories, and it doesn't matter what year, it could have been last year, it could have been the year when I was 11, is sitting in the living room at night when everybody else has slipped off and turning off the house lights and looking at the colored lights and watching the Christmas tree just be, you know? What if every single light on your tree this year? What if it wasn't a contest to try to make your tree as pretty as David's? You can't. What if it wasn't keeping up with the Joneses or making a Facebook-worthy tree? But what if every single light on your tree this year was a reminder that the light of the world came to us and showed us the way and that he deserves to be celebrated with great glory, that we should let our light shine as a reflection of his in us, and that even the lights on our tree are a reminder of the truth that we are in darkness. And there was a day when Ben Skipper lived in darkness. There was a day when I was determined that I was right and that it should be done my way. There was a day when I thought I was the center of the story. Everything should revolve around me. There was a day when I thought I was a big deal. When I thought I was the light of the world. I was wrong and I was living in darkness. But in the grace of God, Christ redeemed me. And he allowed me to be set free from myself and my sin and my pride and walk in Jesus. And the light of the world began to show me the way. And now I walk in it. And I rejoice in that. Let's talk about this text. In John chapter 1 verse 4, the scripture says this, In him was life. And I want you to understand how big a deal that is. Listen to me. We want life. We want good lives. We want rich lives. We want abundant lives. But the truth is that real life is found in God through Christ. So this is a very powerful idea. Let's stop and think about it. Where did life come from? I mean, we believe it doesn't matter if you're an agnostic scientist or if you're a Bible-believing Baptist. We all believe that once upon a time there was a cold, dark rock with no life on it, and suddenly things sprang to life. And we believe that's because our good and loving God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then from thence he began making things. Let there be living creatures all over the place. Where did life come from? It came from God. It came from a moment that our Heavenly Father, who is the source of all life, began to give something that only He possessed, life. In John chapter 5, Jesus tells us that as the Father has life, so Christ has life in Himself. In other words, I'm part of the Trinity. I am the source of life. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 4, that in Jesus Christ was life. It's not trying to say that Jesus was alive. Of course he was alive. It's trying to say that he is the root, the source, the birthplace of real life. 
And why does it matter? Because you and I are determined to find life. And for some moments of our sinful pride, we think that we can find it without him. In fact, listen to this. This is atrocious, but it's true. As a kid, I grew up probably a similar way to a bunch of us in the room. I thought if you were going to have a good life, a fun life, a happy life, you couldn't trust God with it because God's going to have these rules. God's, don't do this. Don't do that. And I thought God was snatching life away from me. That God was keeping me from seizing life and living it to the fullest. And I was so wrong. Embarrassingly wrong. And the more I've gotten to know the character of our Heavenly Father, the more I've learned that He doesn't take life. He gives it. Like the, the more that I've learned that Jesus was right when he said the thief, the devil, he comes to steal and kill and destroy. But God in Christ comes to give life and give it abundantly, to give eternal life, to give rich life, to give abundant and good life. Like the, God's goal is not to snatch life, it's to give it. He invented it. He's the source of it. And so when the Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 4 that in Jesus was life, He wants you to know that he was God, the source of life. But more than that, he wants you to know that if you want real life, it's time for you to find it in Christ. Like understand that his love for you is rich and true. Understand that he treasures you. Understand that his commands for you, uh, they're, they're not to suppress your joy. They're to deepen it. Like if you will live life according to his commands, you'll find that life is richer, more full, and full of deep peace than you ever dreamed. Like God's commands are boundaries to bless you. They're not curses. And I know that when we're young especially and our passions are strong and we live in the midst of the battle of the flesh and the spirit, we can't help but think he's constraining us, but he's not. He's trying to set you free. In him was life. Do you believe me today that in Jesus' life? Let me share with you what John's gospel says. Everybody treasure some of these verses. And if you're looking for life anywhere else today except in Christ Jesus, hear me say you're looking in the wrong place. Hear these verses. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but would have eternal life. John 6, 63. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words that I've spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. John 10, 28. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. John eleven twenty-five. 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 17, 3, now this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So when John drops this gold nugget and says, in Jesus was life, like It's not a passing comment. It's a foundational truth for the church. You may have been walking with Christ for decades. And so for you, maybe my job is to bring you back to the Lord and remind you that the source and the richness of your life, the eternal quality of your life, is a gift from Christ. And you'll live it best and find it when you walk in Christ.
In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. When Christ came and brought divine life to the earth and intended to share it, to give abundant life, eternal life to everybody, he was the light of the world. Like his life, his being, his essence, he, Jesus, was the light for the world. In other words, to show you what it is to be human, to show you who you are. It's a few weeks ago, or months ago, I guess now, Lindsay and Cade were going to check the chickens. I told you I was from Sugarlock, right? We have chickens. Lindsay and Curry wanted chickens. We finally got chickens. We got a chicken coop in the backyard. Um, and it was uh, kind of in a little wooded area. We go back there all the time. I mean, you know, we let the chickens out for a few minutes at the end of the day. And then our question, hey, did anybody put the chickens up? So we've got to go make sure the chickens are safe, close the door. If you don't, the raccoon will get one. <laughs> I promise that's happened. And so we have to go check on our poor chickens and make sure they're safe. We walk that way all the time at night. Cannon, I don't think Cannon owns any shoes, and so he's barefoot all the time back there. I am every once in a while, but I've kind of got those old man feet now. You know, like when I'm walking, oh, oh, was that a stick? Oh, oh. So I put my flip-flops on and I walk. We walk through this little path beside the yard under the trees to the woods, past the magnolia tree beneath the oak tree, right there to the chicken coop. Close the door. I say, hey, girls. I open the door, make sure my girls are sitting there. I tell them, good job, you know, or I look at the no eggs and say, come on, tighten up, you know. <laughs> Go back. I walk that path in the dark. I don't mind the dark. I'm accustomed to the dark. But a few months ago when I was gone, Lindsay and Cade went to check on the chickens. And they took a flashlight. And in the light, Cade said, wait, what is that, Mom? And Mom shined. And right near the edge of the path, in the dark, by the chicken coop, was a copperhead. Now my Annie Oakley bride, the first lady of your church, got our eldest son's pellet gun and brought a quick end to the copperhead. That's my girl right there. I use the analogy to help us think. It can be dangerous to walk in the dark. And yet, you know, you and I without Christ were walking in the dark and I'm not saying they're copperheads beside the path, but I'm saying the devil prowls like a serpent. He's done it before. He'll do it again. He sets traps and he loves to steal life from God's children. And if you don't walk in the light of Christ, if you walk in the sins of the flesh and the passions and the desires that create the compass inside you, or, or if you walk in the darkness of the status quo, whatever the world says is good for this generation, or if you walk in the darkness of any other darkness that we create, you never know what lies on that path, but I can promise you from reading Proverbs that it will hurt you and take life away from you. And yet Christ came to be the light to all mankind, to show you how to live. In the book of 1 Peter, we're told that we walk in His steps now. In other words, we, we look at Jesus and we pray that God and His Spirit would shape us into the image of Christ. We want to be like Christ. We read His teachings and treasure them. We try our best to obey them. And we try to follow Christ because He's the light that shows us the path to walk. And we want badly to walk after Christ. And we've learned that if we keep walking in the darkness, 
it's, there's danger. Danger for us, for our friendships, our family, for everybody around us. Listen to me, we are doomed in the darkness. Jesus came to show us the light to be the light to the world. And here's the deal. I want everybody to catch the missional statement here. It didn't say he came to be the light to the church. It didn't say he came to be the light to the Jews. It didn't say he came to be the light to Bethlehem. It said that he came to be the light to all mankind. I just want us to understand the weight of our mission. We are surrounded by people who don't believe. And it's our job as a church to walk in the light and share the light. To reflect the light of Christ and show the world how to walk in Jesus. After all, that's why God came to us. It's no petty thing that God chose to be born. That the second member of the Trinity came to the earth in human flesh. Giving up the throne in heaven for 33 years. Making himself empty according to, to Philippians chapter 2. Taking on the form of a servant and dying. That's no small thing. It's no small thing that God chose for the body of Christ to be broken on a cross. To suffer and die. To be humiliated. So that he could show us what love looks like. What sacrifice and service looks like. So that he could cleanse us. And redeem us. And defeat death for us. So that we could live forever and ever. It's no small thing. And we can't treat it that way. We've got to understand the magnitude of the incarnation. The, the day that God became, the word became flesh. And the light came to us. And we have got to walk in the light. It's no surprise that Jesus is the light. If you think about the echoes here. To Genesis chapter 1. I mean, when God began to create the world, what does it say? The first thing that he did is that in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And John begins without missing a beat. What does he say? In the beginning was the word. How did God create? He spoke everything into being. And that's why Jesus is called the word with a capital W in this text. Because it was Christ, according to Colossians 1, according to John's 1, who was the powerful agent of creating. Like as God was speaking and Christ was creating because all things are created through him, for him, and by him. Not a single thing was created that wasn't created through him. The Word, capital W. And God's ultimate revelation to us. Like the way that God has shown us who he is and spoken to us most clearly and loudly. That the creative agent of the cosmos, yes, but also the creative shaper of our soul. As Jesus has taught us to be peacemakers, to be persecuted, to be faithful to Christ, to build our house on the right foundation, to do the words of God, to love and to care, to love God and to love our neighbor. Jesus is the word with a capital W here. We're reflecting back to Genesis 1. He clearly tells us that everything, in verse 2 and 3, that everything that has been created was created through him. No surprise that he is the light of the world and he wants to show his creation how to live. He's the beginning. So he's the light. In John 11 verse 10, this is what this text says about the light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble. For they have no light. John chapter 3 verse 19 to 21, this is... So what this text says about light. Later in John's gospel, this is what the scripture says about light. And I'm ashamed to tell you that there have been moments when these passages were true of me. So I'm not surprised if they're true of you. And I'm certainly not surprised if they're true of the lost world. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds 
we're evil. We think we can hide our evil deeds in the dark, don't we? 20. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. That would be a painful but freeing moment, by the way, if you would come out of the darkness into the light of Christ. Your deeds will be exposed and it stings, but there's freedom forever on the other side. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the light of God. John chapter 8 verse 12 says this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Jesus is the light of the world. And every one of us has a choice. Do we want to live in darkness or live in light? Do we want to hide our sinful evil deeds and continue to, to delight in them? Or do we want to allow the light of Christ to flood our soul? To step aside from our hypocrisy and begin to live redeemed and repentant? Put our pride beside and allow Jesus Christ to shape us in his image. Are we ready for that? Yes, we should be. And the world badly needs it. I close with this. In the fifth verse of John 1, it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Some of your translations read, And the darkness has not comprehended it. I greatly prefer overcome it in this passage. You don't care about Greek words, and I know. I'll say this one out loud just so you know I looked it up. The Greek word behind that is katalambano. It means to take hold of, to seize. When somebody is arrested, they are katalambano. When somebody grabs a hold of somebody's cloak, they kata lambano. They're grabbing, they're holding, they're taking for their own. And it could mean in, in sort of an expression to comprehend something, to bring it into their knowledge base. But typically and elsewhere in John's gospel, for example, in John 12, 35, it literally means there is a challenge between darkness and light and darkness hasn't overcome. Let me read that text. John 12, 35. Then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. In other words, he would die soon. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. There would be a few days when Jesus would be absent from the earth in the tomb. Caiaphas, the high priest who had him killed. Pilate, the Roman prefect who oversaw his execution. Herod, the Jewish king that vouched for it. The Sanhedrin who voted for it and the crowds who shouted for it and the darkness who loved it would have a moment where it seemed like the darkness had overtaken. But when Christ rose from the dead, the reality was shattered and it became eternally true that the darkness has not overcome Christ and cannot overcome Christ. And it can't overcome you. And it won't overcome you. If you are the very last believer in your family. And you feel all alone and as if the darkness is insurmountable. And it has overcome you. It cannot. And it has not. Even if every good thing was stripped away. The darkness cannot overcome the light. Because Christ is raised from the dead. The age to come is secure. And the life he gives is eternal. Nobody can undo the work of the new creation. That one day in Christ, we'll live free from the curse of sin. One day in Christ, we'll live without addictions and lust and anger. One day in Christ, the mess we've made will be made right. 
And we'll live in a new heaven and a new earth, ruled by a good father who himself is the light of that city. The scripture taught us today that in Jesus Christ was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. When I challenge a church to hold fast to the light, to walk in the light, and to remember that the darkness has not overcome it and can't. So no matter how you feel, in grief or depression, in loss or despair, maybe you're failing and you're having the worst year of your life, the darkness has not overcome you, and it cannot. Because the light was not born in you, the light was born in Christ. And it's a gift to you, but it is Him, and it cannot be overcome. Church, be faithful. Let me pray for us. Father, as we move in expectation towards the morning that we observe your birth, as we celebrate the founding of our faith, I ask for grace. Lord, I pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would search our hearts and show us where we still love the darkness. And Lord, I pray that this year, in the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd overwhelm us and convict us of our sin and free us of our anger and our bitterness or our grief. That, Lord, you'd shine your light in our soul and flood them. God, that you'd grant us deep and rich freedom in Jesus. And that you'd allow us to walk in the light of Christ. Lord, that in a dark world, we'd become a reflection of the glory of Jesus. Loving you, Lord, loving our neighbor and showing the way. I pray, Father, at the end of this worship service, as we have meant the things we've sung and said, as we've, Lord, prayed in earnest and given, God, I just ask that you'd search us now and help us know how to walk in the light. Lord, give us courage that the darkness hasn't and won't overcome us. We ask your grace as a church family in Jesus' name. Amen.